Hello and welcome to Unsourceful. My name is Elvis and as always, I'm your host. Okay, so we're going to have a pretty packed episode this week. Not only do we have a review of Spider-Man Far From Home, but also just the amount of comics and TV shows that premiered this week. So let's try and get this through as fast as we can, or at least as smoothly as we can. First things first, let's start off with some movie news. There's only really one thing that did stand out to me, and that was that The Flash has yet again lost directors and writers, and it's hilarious how badly it seems this movie is not going to be made anytime soon kind of like it just doesn't want to be made it seems that the homecoming directors i think john francis daly and jonathan goldstein who had been tapped to both write and direct the movie are leaving the project leaving it in the hands of it chapter one director andy muschetti and christina hodson who wrote bumpy and the upcoming Birds of Prey movie. I don't think that Andy Muschietti is a great pick for this project. I think a lot of people are banking on the fact that it was really, really good. And it wasn't. It was a horrible horror movie. And it was pretty terrible. It really was. It was genuinely awful. So I don't have hope for the Flash movie. I don't think that it's reasonable to have any hopes for the Flash movie because it has had so many stops and starts and has probably lost so many directors and writers. There have been dozens at this point. It's insanity. Apparently, they aren't even using the script that Ezra Miller, who is still tapped to play Barry Allen and Grant Morris and co-wrote together which makes the whole breakup between the creative forces that much more ridiculous because what was the point then if you're going to lose the directors and I'm not going to say they were going to do a good job by all accounts the rumors of their script sounded really really bad as well but it's it's kind of insane it really is ridiculous it's silly and it is just so 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 aggravating it shouldn't be this hard to make a flash movie the elements are right there just make a simple rogues movie no time travel no dimension hopping no frivolous bullshit that the TV show likes to get into to just tell something straightforward and I guess I was a little bit excited about the homecoming director and writers coming in because homecoming Spider-Man homecoming itself was honestly a really good flash style movie I think that all the elements that you could ever want in a flash movie homecoming did and it did it well the vulture and his gang are definite rogue style stuff so it's a shame it really is a shame and it's ridiculous and it's hilarious and it's darkly darkly bitter you know so fingers crossed I don't have any hopes but we'll see what happens I doubt this movie is ever gonna get made any Anyway, moving along to TV news, we have the announcement that Neil Gaiman and Netflix are going to be making a Sandman TV show for the streaming service. And that's kind of amazing. I'm not that excited, honestly, but I think that's really cool that at least fans of Sandman are going to be getting something like this and hopefully they do justice to it. It's a very expressive and expansive series and hopefully they don't drop the ball for them because there's a lot of things they could do. There's a whole bunch of potential in terms of actually adapting and translating all this stuff to a live action format that could be really, really impressive and incredibly creative. And if they don't actually capture that, then what's the point? It's one of those things that you really need to focus on being expressive and as imaginative as you can. So fingers crossed for that. I hope it does well, at least for its own merits and quality and not just because of its reputation, which you know will happen. And lastly, heading into comic news, we have the pretty much depressing news that Mad Magazine is basically cancelled at this point and will be shifting toward publishing, well, classic material. It's no longer going to be coming out with actual new issues, but just reprinting old standard stuff. And this is something that they did back like in 2004, 2008 or so, where they had the Mad Classics line, which is meant to break up releases from when they did regular quarterly stuff and so mad classics would come out in the gap and i had a really great time with that but eventually i got bored because there was nothing current or relevant and so i kind of dropped it and that's kind of what I'm afraid of here. I love Mad. I think Mad is great. It was a huge part of my childhood, but eventually I just stopped being a regular reader. And a large part of that was because there was nothing new. 
and that works because it's well topical i know topical stuff doesn't really you know age well especially if you're being satirical or comedic but i think that mad at the very least is usually very very funny in the moment and i think that does lend itself to a lot more sort of versatility and so just by focusing on vintage material then there's really nothing that is there to entice new readers and i think it's going to flounder just like mad classics did it was really with this recent relaunch that they did last year that i really fell back into mad and it really did reignite my interest in my love for this franchise and this series because, well, it was amazing. And I thought that every issue was packed and was fulfilling and satisfying. And I had so much great times with them. And I was really excited to just, you know, be back in with the mad sort of fervor. And so it's a shame. It's a shame that it's gone this way. It really is. And at least it's going out on a high note. I hope this whole mad vintage line that they're going to go into right now is successful and that it doesn't flame out and burn out as quickly as mad classics did. I hope it works this time i hope that the vintage line continues on to the future i mean they have like what half a century or more of material that they can repurpose and reuse and regurgitate and i hope it works i really do and maybe someday we'll see something new maybe someday you know but fingers crossed and rest in peace mad i'm gonna miss you there were so many things to love at least we'll always have the memories okay so we're moving on to what i read this week first things first we have the wild store number 24 so after two years and some change we finally hit the final issue of this Maxa series, something that was meant to bear the brunt of this whole new Wildstorm reboot going forward and to set the foundation for it. From the start, I never thought this was going to end satisfyingly or conclusively, more that it would just, well, end and then let the other spin-offs pick up the slack. All that said, I can't help but feel like this is somehow still way more disappointing and lackluster than I thought it would be. Again, it's not that it doesn't tie up everything into neat bows, it's more or less that it's just kind of pointless feeling. Like half the characters don't even appear and a good couple are just wiped off the board entirely. It feels very wishy-washy about itself. Like it doesn't even know how it should or would end. And a part of my brain feels like maybe plans changed or shifted. And maybe things are just being swept under the rug with the least amount of due to them because of this. Because it feels forced. It feels brisk and it feels really all too blunt. Not in a cathartic or wrenching way, but very last minute and pragmatic. I was expecting a whimper, but this issue comes off more as a just a sigh. It does set some things up, but so many others just get brushed aside. And the issue tries to make some statement about the engineer and how it was her story the entire time and that everything else didn't matter, which doesn't work because the series as a whole was an ensemble affair from the start and all the way through. And we spent so much time away from the engineer and building this world and building everything else. So when you make that kind of statement and you really do funnel everything into this issue and start just cutting off pieces and branches of the world building here and there it just falls flat it really does and that's a shame i'm still excited for wildcats i can't wait to see what happens there but i do wonder again if this reboot isn't on its last legs and that maybe wildcats is only being done due to obligation because i don't really see where this can go with all that potential being wasted and squandered in this issue i really can't two thumbs middle Next up, we have the Immortal Hulk number 20. This was kind of a weird issue for me, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but I don't really care for the one below all stuff. I think it gets in the way a lot of the time, and that it impedes some of the things that makes the Hulk as a concept really interesting. Adding this whole supernatural element and being so overbearing with it feels trite. That said, this issue actually brings up some new angles that could make it worthwhile if they're pulled off 
something more somber, more regretful, and more despairing in scope. And that's the core of the Hulk. So I'm on pins and needles with that. If they can actually land the payoff for that, then it'll be fantastic. I admit that. I admit that freely. I really do hope that Ewing can dredge up something as grand as those ideas are. Other than that, it's a fine issue. Hulk and Red She-Harpy get another perfectly caustic and emotional moment to themselves. And the more introspective reflection we get of Hulk's reason for being, which is being poured outward to the reader in this amazingly gripping way, with his ties to Bruce, it's all the better for it. It's pretty amazing. And Ewing, as always, hits the nail right dead center with this kind of stuff. I love it. Possibly the worst thing about this issue is that every time we get another look of the Abomination's design, it just gets worse and worse. Like in one panel, he looks like he's just a skinned chicken with like some feathers still plucking around just so so silly looking like there's a great design in there and i've seen that great design in other issues and in other covers and in other renditions but in the issues themselves it just feels like it's very inconsistent and i i really don't want to hate the abomination but i think that he hasn't been as utilized as well or as fantastically as she harpy or any of the other characters or antagonists yet i do hope that the next time we see him he's great because this series has been great overall and he needs to be a part of that in any case i'm glad that we have seen the last of it for now because there's not much else to go on there the rest of this issue sets up a lot more but i'm still kind of cautious about where it's going if Ewing can make a definitive the end storyline for the Hulk which he's setting up in this one and those pages epilogue of the issue are amazing at drawing this immense bitter tone about it then it'll be well probably one of the best Hulk storylines ever done so fingers crossed I am behind Ewing 100% and I want to see him succeed one thumb up one thumb middle moving ahead we have the Green Lantern number nine which is Similarly to the Hulk issue we just did, this was also mainly set up. It's really just an excuse to have Liam Sharp draw exotic and intense fantasy action scenes, costumes, and vistas. And well, well fuck yeah, it was all worth it. The story itself is negligible at best, up until the four issues at least, and other than that, it's almost entirely non-existent. What it does set up is what readers have known for ages, that we're getting a multiversal Green Lantern story, which is awesome. We get a taste of their designs on their Sharp in the last page, and they look fantastic. Burnt out, hippie Green Lantern is my favorite one. He's got such a dress down and ordinary design that he somehow looks the most out of place and insane. It's adorable and so out there. The rest is a fun issue. I'm not trying to harp down on it but it does go places and it maintains the high standard of quality that we should be expecting from this series and those last four pages are well pretty intense we get some amazing stuff here like Liam Sharp is still firing on all pistons and I think that he is definitely well within his element in this issue and he is carrying the brunt of it so yeah Sharp is showing some amazing stamina and he is solely responsible for just this amazing sense of well the architecture and just a whole bunch of different sometimes more gruesome unnerving aesthetics so yeah, I can't wait to see what else he brings. I think this is definitely a Liam Sharp issue first and foremost and it was really really fun to just breathe in. So I can't wait for the next issue. I can't wait to see where this goes but seriously this this series is such a treasure. So one thumb up, one thumb middle. Moving ahead we have the goon number three which is another insanely fun issue of this increasingly great relaunch. I feel pretty damn good about being this strong when the product is actually this fantastic that the relaunch is not trying to be so dramatic at least not yet i think is to its benefit because being that dramatic wouldn't work alongside going back to the more episodic status quo format so now each issue since the first one has been a farce and they're all riots because of that the focus on the humor the monster and every little aside that combines them is honestly really impressive to see and i think that this is definitely powell hitting hard and hitting fast not a page or panel feels wasted not a joke doesn't feel earned or out of 
place. I wouldn't mind if the series stayed like this for a good long while. An issue like this one has a fun, cute, hilarious concept and works the hell out of it. Whoever heard of an obscenely petty mummy? I sure didn't, and now it exists and I love it. Powell, he's doing a great job. There's not much to say about this issue other than, well, check it out. It's wonderful, and I reread the entire series now and again, and there are a few better issues than this one on terms of the comedy front, because sometimes you can feel out of place or a bit jarring. This one feels really well done, really tight, and really dead center on the money. And, well, I loved it. I think this was a great issue, and I can't wait to see where the series goes. So if we can keep that up before going back to, into this bigger, long-form scope myth arc, then and kudos, I'll be here for the ride for sure. Two thumbs up. And lastly, we have the dreaming number 11. So first off, I'm just going to get this out there. This is Spurrier going hog wild and not giving a damn about it. This is maybe one of his most impenetrable issues of the entire run so far. Like there have been issues that have felt very entrenched in themselves, but this one easily takes the cake. The characters themselves even remark upon it, with Matt calling sarcastically about stories within stories. It's almost labyrinthian in how short the issue actually is, for how compact and how it manages to fit in about two or three intertwined short threads and then maybe two sub threads and it's it's a whole lot of work to get through and i love it for that i know there are those who don't have any patience for when spurrier does this kind of thing and it irks me sometimes too it really does but with this issue it just captures a really fine line chaotic and free-flowing melange of storytelling one great bit is when door herself butts in and steals a torch for the narrative for herself it's a wonderful scene and it leads to just a great pinpointing of how different collaborative processes can sort of actually hit a perfect cross point and and it's wonderful and it's the forefront of the entire thing. But the trade-offs and changes in style and tone throughout the sort of vignette anthology nature of, of the sub stories are so damn fun. It takes a while to really get the hang of it and it took me a few rereads but it is so damn worth it. It really is. Plus we get more of the amazing Bilkus Evely's art and the return of Ziggy. Holy shit I did not see that coming and I couldn't be happier. So I can't wait to see where these characters go next and where you know the story goes. It's kind of insane but I love it. I really do. And I hope that this doesn't end that soon. It's supposedly moving to the new Black Label line that's engulfing Vertigo. So, you know, fingers crossed and two thumbs up. And now we head on into what I watched this week. First, we're going to be doing the episodes that premiered this week before moving ahead to the Spider-Man review. But first off, we have Legion Season 3, Episode 2, which is just another really fun episode. Definitely continuing to stride the line between telling a story that has actual momentum and rolling stakes, but also trying to keep the whole inherently odd and weird tone that fans have come to expect. There's nothing here that doesn't move forward either the plot or the characters in some way. It's just also trying to be as strange and as kooky as possible. And that's not so much of a bad thing if you can get the balance right. It leads to some funny interesting side gags like Glenny's whole Mad Hatter tea party or the government side of the plot tracking people with cartoonish blobs on screens and so on. It doesn't detract from the heightened sense of the oppressive somberness or the more horrifying aspects of David's powers but it does give it all some zest. I think that Dan Stevens is still knocking it out of the park. He's just on the sideline still as even with this episode the focus is more on the secondary characters but what time in the spotlight he does get he makes shine. He just imbues his character with this indelible ego and disingenuous personality that puts you on edge immediately. It's also kind of hilarious how bad he is at not being a total piece of shit because of it. There's just some wonderful back and forths he gets with other characters in this that make it as entertaining as it is just tragic and terrifying. Outside of his and Sid's whole tete-a-tete, -tete, the other major focus is on the carries, which leads to some bittersweet notes. Their relationship seems to have 
patched up from where it was in the second season, which makes it all the more sad that the male Carrie gets completely mindfucked by David into helping him gain more power. It's done in a really reflective scene that underlines the bond the two Carries have way more and way harder than any other scenes they've had in the first two seasons. And the fact that David takes advantage of that is just awful and it's it's just so so gut-wrenching and I love it. I love that. I love just how despicable that is. It's so well done. And it's a fine episode overall. And I can't wait to see where this season goes. It does seem like it's taking its time, but it doesn't feel like it's wasting its time. Two thumbs up. Next up, we have Krypton Season 2, Episode 4, titled Danger Close. And this was actually better than the previous episode, but it does really help to confirm a lot of my worries about this season as a whole. This episode, unlike the filler mess of last week, actually does a lot to propel the story and the characters forward, such as the Rebel subplot, the General Zod treachery, and the cost of Seg and Adam's wacky shenanigans all get new developments and some entrenched excavation. The thing is that I wonder if this is just the huge flaw in parsing out rather than actually having a good sense of what they want to do and where they want to go. If they keep brushing through a lot then of course there are going to be episodes like last week's that have absolutely nothing to offer in order to stretch things out and that's going to lead to some trouble down the road. It already has actually. That said, for what it is, this episode is just really fun. Understanding more about what happened during the time skip with some side characters is a bit more engaging. Learning about how much of a bastard General Zod can actually be is really entertaining. And Adam again fucking things up on a huge cosmic level is oddly endearing now that we get to know him a bit more. He does have a good rapport with Seg's grandfather of all things and it's a really sweet scene. The weakest aspect of this episode has to be Seg himself. His connection and relationship to Lyda is important. I get that, but it's also insanely boring and tedious, and any sense of the character momentum he had when he was with Adam is completely absent. We do get some nice revelations regarding his status and the whole scheme of things, but that's kind of about it. It's not a bad episode, and I was pretty engaged all the way through because, well, it was actually expanding on a lot of things that we should have known coming into this season, but it does leave me worried about the future of the story because we also have a huge amount of the plot that is either still stuck spinning its wheels or or kind of rushing through to some end game despite only being halfway done so we're gonna be hitting some turbulence here but overall this week one thumb up one thumb middle and lastly we have Swamp Thing episode 6 the price we pay which was kind of great and not simply because it's capitalizing on the absolutely bonker ideas that it brought up at the end of last week's episode but because it decides to jam in a whole lot more to boot so not only do we have like the complete lunacy of Swampy falling for a trap that is actually a bunny in a trap before being ambushed by bounty hunters. But we also have Matt Cable being confirmed for Alex Killer and then having this whole new Gaston style dynamic that's being created between all three major players. It just gives Matt himself a lot more to hang his hat on than just being a regular love interest. It makes interactions with both Abby and Swampy just that much more tinged with kind of a darker humor. Plus we even get more Phantom Stranger, this time decked out in his suit and hat. And I still think they've done a great job in adapting his standard role in these types of stories really well. I have to keep my fingers crossed for more because I think the actor is killing it, but perhaps my favorite thing about this episode overall has to be Jason Woodrum, the Floronic Man. Because I finally realized what he's 
been reminding me of all this time. Jeffrey Combs is Herbert West. It's uncanny and awesome and hilarious. He's delightful to see. And his breach into insanity is perfect. He just got this insane drive to find out and to explore and discover the mysteries of the swamp. And the zeal for this is just hilarious to see come to fruition. And for the cherry on top, we even get more Andy Bean as Swampy breaks out that flower that melds him and Abby's minds together for a while. So, you know, fuck yes. I'm excited for next week. I'm excited for Randy Bean. I'm excited for more Floronic Man. I'm excited to see what the fuck is going on with Matt Cable and how deep his depravity is going to go. So yeah, there's been a lot of great developments and I'm just so hyped you would not believe. There's still some iffy things about this episode like how Sunderland's acting is at its worst but it still keeps up with some solid moves and some solid turns. So if only four episodes left I am actually going to miss this and I hope it lands these next four episodes. Two thumbs up. And now we reach the review section for Spider-Man Far From Home. This is going to be the short spoiler free bit before we get into the spoiler review. This movie overall was just really boring. There's nothing all that interesting that it has to offer. For the most part, it's just a bog standard MCU film, which can be kinda okay-ish. Like you have the standard amount of jokes that you expect, which does help to buff things out a bit. And one really good action scene. Like one genuinely fun one. But the rest of the movie is dull as hell. The story isn't interesting, the villain isn't interesting or engaging, and the easter eggs and references are bland. The stakes are low effort and the third act drags on forever. So that doesn't help things at all either. It's not terrible it's borderline watchable I think and at times kind of funny but it's also a chore and it's tiresome and I was yawning I really was the characters themselves they're okay if you like them a lot in the first movie but there's nothing they do here that is any way interesting at all either so overall I would have to give it a 4 out of 10 one thumb down one thumb middle and so now we're going to be heading into the spoiler section if you want to skip this and head to listener questions then just check out the time code below in the description and you'll be set so here we go first Things first, the whole new Iron Man subplot and aspect of the movie drags it way down. The movie is so slavishly devoted to Iron Man as an ideal for Spider-Man to become, but it also never makes an argument for him being his own hero. Like that's not even brought up as an idea even thematically. All it gets is some lip service from Happy in one line and then two seconds later we just get a full homage to a scene from the first Iron Man which defeats the purpose. Like it seems to not even know what it wants to say regarding this idea. This thing it brings up constantly and that it doesn't really even have a purpose in this movie because it shouldn't have a purpose. It really shouldn't even be there. It's hard to care about Spider-Man as a hero in his own right when the movie refuses to treat him as a hero in his own right. So why should I care? I don't really care about the next Iron Man or this and that but this movie doesn't devote all that much attention to Peter coming into his own either and that would have been engaging but it's just left on the floor. The other big thing I have against this movie is the plot itself not being aided by what I just said in that it's also just boring by itself. A lot of that has to do with trying to predicate the twist regarding Mysterio. So we're being subjected to this deliberately bland setup for most of the runtime. The fact that it's Mysterio running a con doesn't make it any better in hindsight because you still have to sit there and watch it. I get that it's meant to be impressive that Mysterio is doing all this, but the fact that the illusions he makes are 
like any normal MCU CGI means that the joke has a lot less potency than it should have. And well, the intended effect is ruined because of it, honestly. Especially when it only pays off once with the admittedly awesome fight scene where Peter is trapped in his VR warehouse and being completely fucked over by Mysterio in some genuinely inventive ways. It lasts maybe five minutes and that's the best five minutes of the entire movie. It's on another strata. And then we head on to the final act, which, like I said, feels like forever. That doesn't help that by that point, Peter has overcome Mysterio's powers and hold over him for the most part, and so it just becomes him fighting boringly designed looking drones over and over and over. I was so tired. I I was just so bored and sleepy at that point. It's a mess of a finale. Like, it has no energy. It's not exciting. It's not thrilling at all. It's, it's just the same thing over and over again. It's just the same dull beats over and over again it's it's lunacy i have no idea who decided that needed to be the finale or who thought that was a good idea mysterio as a whole though because of that fight scene is a highlight and there's also a little other things that make him entertaining like how his real outfit and costume is just this cgi motion capture suit which is a fun detail and it's kind of ridiculous as hell and i love it everything else surrounding him though is boring and uninspired who cares that his minions are from other MCU movies? That adds nothing. It adds absolutely nothing. And it just kind of, well, like I said, detracts from Spider-Man as his own hero because again, we're getting this whole Tony Stark was the real focus. Who gives a shit? I know people who like the Spider-Man MCU movies have gone around saying that they aren't Iron Man Jr. movies, but that does not hold any water with this one. This is an Iron Man Jr. movie and it irks the fuck out of me. It's annoying. And it is just so, so boring. And that's about it, honestly. The chemistry between the kids and those other side characters is okay. The romance between Peter and MJ, however, is not really there. There are admittedly some believable gags with his early anxiousness and nervousness at the start, like in the first act, but once they hit into the heavier, more romantic things, it just feels more perfunctory and like a checklist than really developed. It's not a bad film. It really isn't. It's just boring, forced, and bluntly mediocre. It has some good laughs and that one good scene, but that shouldn't be enough. It really should not. 4 out of 10. One thumb down, one thumb middle. And before we head on into listener questions, we have a comment from Not of Death on Twitter. And their comment is just a thank you for making a great podcast every week. And that is amazing. I never think of this as a great podcast. I really don't. I just think of it just me rambling on for a week. And hopefully some of you amazing people will find any kind of reason to listen to it. It's it's so amazing to hear that. It just made my day. It really made my week even. So thank you so much. That means so much to me. And so now we hit upon listener questions. Our first question comes from the ever amazing Medea and their question is, what is the best Spider-Man film? What's the best Spidey movie? Honestly, in my opinion, it has to be Spider-Man 1 and with a close tie to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for Spider-Man 1 because I think it is the funniest, it's the most exciting, it's the most well entertaining overall i think that it captures just a great campy silly but also really dramatic mood to it i know a lot of those things can be said about spider-man 2 which is the resounding favorite and i will admit that spider-man 2 has the best drama and it has the best sort of plot development to it but it doesn't capture the same amount of just heights that spider-man 1 does to me particularly because that one has willem dafoe and he absolutely carries that movie on its back and the fact that everyone else is carrying the movie as well just means that it's just reaching a lot of heights to it i think that is just 
a wild, hilarious, and just really, really fun ride. Especially for something that came out during like the early 2000s when you would get a lot of really iffy scenes in origin movies this one just believes in itself so hard and it just feels so confident about itself and i feel like that's pretty impressive for just any of these movies at all and it has to share the outer space with spider-man into the spider-verse mainly because spider-man into the spider-verse is a movie that speaks about spider-man it reminds me so much of lex mentalo and how it tries to create a message about superheroics and it does so so effectively through the mythos of Spider-Man. There are some problems and issues I have with it. But overall, it's really tight, it's really funny, it's really adventurous and exciting, but it also has some really grander message to it about, well, what Spider-Man means and determined or having courage or having inner self-confidence or self-esteem and all these other different things. And that's what reminds me so much about Flex Mentalo. Because you have a Flex Mentalo, that whole idea about how before the bomb was a bomb, it was an idea and all that kind of stuff where you're talking about taking fiction and taking a superheroic story see that like well if these characters can do that then i can do this i can make it through the day i think it does it so elegantly and especially for a kids film i think it does it in a way that i think and i hope really spoke to kids because it's, it's pretty amazing at that so i think that well best spidey movie in terms of just being a spider-man movie just about itself spider-man one is is pretty great and then being a spider-man movie about well using spider-man as this idea for well heroics and your own confidence spider-verse is is pretty amazing too both of those are fantastic and they haven't been topped yet so thank you for the question Medea. i hope that the answer was satisfying to you. I try to give it my all. I tried to do my best with it. Our next question comes from the Incomparable Illuminated. And their question is, who is my favorite Spider-Man villain? And I think I answered this already like a long, long time ago. But my answer is still the same. It has to be Hobgoblin. Just because of just the ridiculous and convoluted and obtuse nature of his storylines. Just the way he's utilized more recently in, in terms of just being a genuinely self-satirical character. I just think he's entertaining. And I think he's entertaining because of how what a ball of chaos and nonsense his history has been similarly to how DC had Monarch except in an actually enjoyable to read sort of way plus I just think that his whole ripoff design leads to much mileage they got out of that and I think that if you wanted an Spider-Man villain that danced to the beat of their own drum it's Hobgoblin I think that it's a really versatile exciting entertaining and hilarious character to just to have around Spider-Man so yeah that would be my favorite Spider-Man villain illuminated and I just want to say thank you for that question it was awesome and I love talking about Hobgoblin I think that he's just this well he's the bee's knees and I just want to say thank you to everyone out there who's ever sent in a question or a comment or topic it's amazing I love these questions i love all these questions they're always so so fun to talk about and think about and try to not fumble over my own words it makes the show you're all amazing and i'm so grateful and i just want to say that if anyone out there has their own question topic or comment they want to hear discuss on the show you can always find me on twitter at t-h-e underscore s-n-i-c-k-m-a-n and i also want to give a shout out to the cover artist for the show at d-o-t-e-m-c-e-e i implore you to check them out give them a follow they really deserve it their work is amazing anyway that's it for this episode I just want to say that I hope you had a great listen and I hope you have a great week. See you again next time.